Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where greatness begins when someone says, I have a dream. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale, exit, and create profitable growth, maximum valuation, impact, and freedom so that you build a stellar business and live a life that you love. So how about those dreams? You know, is that the story of your business as well? Did you see something in the world and think, I know that could be better? Work with entrepreneurs, I hear that story a lot. People have lots and lots of dreams, but you know, I, I think dreams are, are cheap. Ideas, a dime a dozen. The thing that makes them powerful is action. General Colin Powell said a dream doesn't become reality through magic. And you know, if if we look at the the magazines or interviews, things like that, sometimes it feels that way in entrepreneurship. It just like they rolled out of bed one day, had an idea and and grew a unicorn. But he said a dream doesn't become reality through magic. It takes sweat, determination, and hard work. And, you know, I really think that describes the successful entrepreneurship. So the successful entrepreneurial journey. You know, they, they do wake up one day and they say, I have a dream that the world could be different. And they make that happen through that sweat, determination, and hard work. But the things that kill dreams is fear of failure, not taking those risks, not taking action, or just the love of comfort. And it is so easy to just kind of sit back and be comfortable. And, and I may have a big dream and I know the world could be different, but I don't know, man, that's a lot of risk. But don't let those dreams sit idle. Don't let fear hold you back because greatness is on the other side of that. Freedom is on the other side of that. A better world is on the other side of that, and you can make that happen. So keep taking action, even bigger action this year than last. Rally other people around those dreams and get them to take action with you. Because big dreams powered by massive action absolutely change the world. Entrepreneurs like you change the world and improve the lives of your clients, your team members, their families, and your family as well. And we have an opportunity to celebrate the dreams of equality and freedom here in the U.S. next Monday. So more about that a little bit later in the episode. You know, this last week, I had the privilege of spending some time with some big dreamers at our Navigating Success Together event. Outstanding, fearless SaaS founders. And so we're going to do it again. The feedback was amazing. And I also heard from a number of you that you had date, time conflicts, wanted to come but couldn't. And all the more reason to do it again. So join us for another live meetup for SaaS founders. We're going to continue. We'll call it Navigating Success Together. We'll keep the name like that. Uh, hosted by Champion Leadership Group. Learn four key ways to keep growth going, even in uncertain economic times. Uh, and we'll also talk about that master level strategy, the Yes Box. That was a huge hit. Uh, how to keep growth going in an uncertain economy, how buyer journey, how that changes, how the thought process changes when the economy is a little bit wonky. 
And most importantly, the thing that I love about these events is the ability to build relationships with other SaaS founders. Uh, Up-level your leadership skills and mastermind solutions with those that are on the same SaaS building journey as us. You know, it is free for SaaS founders, so get all the details, navigatingsuccesstogether.com, or just go to sasfuel.com. It's up at the top of the page under resources. Hit that, drop down, look at events, pick your date, and I hope to see you there. So I'm really excited about doing that again. Like I said, the feedback was, was just fantastic. And I hope to see some of you that were there last time at the next one as well. And, and I have no doubt that that'll be the case. But I want you there, especially if you weren't there before, come experience what we're doing. In our last episode, we talked with Edwin Fieltvet, founder and CEO of Favorite, a SaaS POS system for restaurants, bars, and events. Edwin is creating amazing guest experiences using technology to do the simple low-value task and up-leveling those service interactions, which is super valuable for that, that market. So if you missed that episode, definitely go back and give a listen to that one. Uh, last week in our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, which was the first one, we had Thomas Smale, founder and CEO of FE International, bring a SaaS investor and venture perspective on the current state of funding acquisition and what it takes to get a premium deal done in 2023. So if you missed either one of those, go back and give them a listen. Well, my current guest this week, I'm really excited about. It is Alyssa Marshall, co-founder of Owlish. So once again, here in our SaaS Fuel Expert series, we have somebody who is a founder of a SaaS company and an expert in marketing and course creation. So Owlish is a SaaS platform that allows the creation of courses and training that is quick and easy and allows you to put them into your own website instead of relying on a third-party platform. So sending them somewhere else. And you know, don't think that just because it it's easy to use that it lacks features. It was actually built specifically to fill the gaps of those existing third-party platforms and allow non-technical users to set it up and create content. Super fast, super easy. So one of the things that I think really holds us back from creating content is kind of the, the tech around that. And if I create it, then we've got to do all this other stuff and it's going to be difficult. It isn't with Alish. And you might think as a fellow SaaS founder, you're like, hey, I'm not a creator. How would I use a course and how would that translate into more ARR? And I had some ideas, but my conversation with Alyssa stretched my mind even bigger. The opportunity is so much bigger than you would even think. So that and more with today's guest, Alyssa Marshall. Hey, Alyssa, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me on the show. Absolutely. Well, tell everybody about your background and kind of how you got into technology. It's not the normal route. There's not much that's, let's say, normal about my background. Okay. The story's a little bit long. I love that. It's, I, it took me lots of uh, turns <laughs> to come to where I'm at. The story's a little bit long, but bear with me. I'll try to shorten it, but, you know, parts of it that's relevant, I'll have to mention. So It's a good story. <laughs> thank you. I am a dentist. I've earned my dental degrees from two countries, both South Korea and the United States. And so I graduated from South Korea first. I moved to the U.S. and then I learned that I really have to go back to dental school again to go become a dentist here again. And the process of doing so is really grueling and so very competitive. And anyway, I do it. I go to UCLA, graduate. And while I'm in school, I 
just from inbound, like friends and friends of friends kind of thing, I kind of accidentally start a business where I'm helping other dentists that were trained abroad go through the same process as I, because it is very, very competitive. And it is not uncommon for people to take three, four or five years sometimes of uh, failed application cycles to do so. Um, Wow. Yes, it's, yeah, it is grueling. Anyway, so I'm doing that. And that allows me to retire very early on. So I was 31 years old when I stopped seeing patients. And I just went all in on the business itself, which was really fun. And so we we made like online courses showing dentists how to cut teeth, plastic teeth, not real patients teeth, but teeth to the American <laughs> standards and what they want to see uh, during a the test that's part of the admissions process. So I'm doing that. And that was very um, unusual, let's just say, because dentistry is tr- traditionally taught in person. It's something that, you know, you are right. shown, yeah, by like a professor next to you on how to do it, blah, blah, blah. But, and, and I did teach the courses live for a couple of years too, but then we were like, okay, there's got to be a way to just do this online. It, it took a lot of thinking and trying to figure out how to make it all work. But we figured it out and made up a, made a course. And um, once we went everything virtual, uh, I was location independent. I was, um, I had a lot more agency over my time. And, uh, you know, we, I could really work with clients from all over the world, which was amazing. Now, having courses as a non-technical course creator was a different story because I was so very frustrated with, like, there were a lot of things that I wanted my website to do. And to do so was not simple, like for somebody that doesn't know how to code, you know, and perhaps a simpler answer was for me to go back to coding school or whatever and figure it out. But it was (laughs) always like, well, I don't wants to. And so um, working with uh, developers were was frustrating. Um, it still is because like, I'm like, okay, it's not that this developers part, it's more like, okay, I want something done, but it's like, I feel like I cannot make that happen on my own, right? Like, it's like, okay, I want this change to my course or whatever. And doing so was just like, okay, just thinking about it as a stressor. And then I have to be like, communicate and like, okay, please do this for me. And when we update new course modules and whatever that was. Explain it to somebody else. Yes. And you just don't always want to have to do that. And it it was really challenging. And so after almost eight, nine years of doing so, we ended up making Alish, which is a software as a uh, product, software as a service product, a SaaS, uh, that helps non-technical creators like myself put up really awesome looking online courses on websites across the board. It doesn't matter what platform you're using and you don't need a developer as long as you can like do some copy pasting, you know, and copy a piece of code and put it. Yeah, that's the easy part. Yeah, like I could do that. And then you can like work on your course and all of that inside our platform, which is Alish. Um, Anyway, so that's how I became a SaaS founder, which was, oh my gosh, I would have never thought I'd be doing (laughs) 
this. If you asked me 10 years ago what I'd be doing, oh, certainly like having a software would not be on the list of that. But yeah, here I am loving it. That's a really interesting process. And, you know, I'm a non-technical founder as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, huge respect for for doing that in the technical space. And then that transition from medicine and healthcare over to technology as well. Yeah. So and that, that's really interesting. Thank you. Thank you. It was a lot of twists and turns, but um, I've enjoyed it a lot. Like I love my lifestyle right now. So what are the, the big challenges of creating courses if you're not technical? Ooh. You know, there, there are a lot of solutions out there. Yeah. I mean, what are the, the challenges? The, as the non-code kind of movement expanded, and uh, there are a lot of softwares that really help non-technical creators put up courses online. And I think that really is wonderful, right? It kind of started from like the Udemy's or the Skillshare's, and those are still great. And then there are platforms right. that help you host your own courses, uh, which are also, there are so many good ones as well challenge that I found is that you have to create a subdomain for most of those. And a subdomain essentially is it's like you'll go to their website and if you look through what they offer and what they say, it's like, oh, have the course on your own website. For me too, it took me a really long time to really understand what that meant. I thought in the beginning days, like earlier, I thought if I'm going to put up a course on my, like if, if I'm going to have my own course website, that meant that if I have, let's say, sassfuel.com, I can put a course on there. That's what I thought it meant. And then I realized like, right. oh, that is not what it meant. I have to make a subdomain, which is essentially a brand new website that will host my course and only my course. And if that fits your business model, then wonderful. Then you you go all up. But what I noticed with me too, and a lot of other course creators that I talk to, you want to have a little bit more functionality. And it can be as simple as like book a coaching call or, you know, something else that is not just a straightforward course, but you want that functionality kind of built in and integrated so that your members will have a seamless experience doing these other things. Sometimes it is even like downloading a PDF. It's just hard to make that look nice on, on those platforms. Right. And so what we did differently was like, okay, just no more subdomain. I was like, you got to stop using that subdomain unless you want to, unless that is what you want to do, then, then you go all in. But if you just want to add a course to your website, which is already, let's say, functioning the way you want it or whatever, and you let's say you already have a way for people to book the coaching calls or all those things, then there should be just a way to like drop in a course. And be like, okay, done, wonderful. None of it is broken. Everything, everything else that was already working still works. And I've now added a course here. I don't have to send my members to another area where it's like, bookmark this page so you can access my course later. You know what I mean? It's just it's like, I've, right. I've joined courses like that. And to access it, I'd have to be like, okay, this is the email address I used. Let me search. <laughs> Search for my welcome right, email. I have to go back to my email yeah. and search. And then right, right. it's like a lot of friction. I do that too. Right? And it's just like that's not the experience it you want to give your learners if you can help it. And and you can help it. So for non-technical course creators, that was one option and 
obstacle, if you ask me, on creating courses. And another was you had to be semi or I think more than semi tech savvy if you could go the WordPress route because it is supposed to be easy to use and, you know, it's all open source. But I don't know if you talk to any non-technical person that actually started to mess with a WordPress site in any depth, you realize you get in over your head really, really fast. You can do like a pretty simple like blog and maybe an opt-in and a website, I think now without the help of a developer. But if you want to have like a course and other things do this, like uh, just things talking to each other and just tightly integrated as a site the way you envision it, good luck doing that because that's what I had in, you know, the, the, the dental business and like, oh, just to make a simple, it's like the back end gets so messy so fast. And you know, the type of mess where it's like, you don't want to look at it anymore. <laughs> it's like, it's too right, much to deal right. with. You don't want to log into your back end because it's like, okay. Um, Cause like we have more than one course. We have like four and all the course modules are just mixed up together in the back end. And I'm like, well, this belongs to that course and that belongs to this course. And why is one after the other? And like, how do I just, I don't know, maybe I'm just very (laughs) non-technical, but it was not for me. So administration is difficult. It is hard. It is hard. And yeah, at least like I wanted the course side to be simpler because I was a course creator, you know, like the other other technical design whatever like i i'm i felt much more comfortable like working with a developer on the other sides of things because like that is not my domain but as like a teacher like this was my domain and i wanted to go in often and make changes often to optimize experiences and whatnot because as i teach i learn and i'm like i'm learning a better way of teaching and i want to implement but like if you feel this like mounting pressure before you log into your course backend. It's hard to keep the course up the way you want it to be. And uh, yeah, that's how I just, I'm like, let me scratch my own itch. And it was like a, you know, take off the important boxes off or like what a non-technical creator would need to be able to have a course kind of like, you know, what, what we had as a WordPress site, but in a way where it can embed it into other, other sites, whatever your platform might be. And that's really important. I've probably used five or six different ones, mm. and and it would be all the big names that that everybody would know. We'll edit that. <laughs> so it'd be all the the big names that everybody would know. And and they're not easy to use. They're not easy to set up. And and even just you know having the the look and feel. And I think people judge that oh, when yeah. they go in and take a look at a course. That you know, what does it look like? How is it set up? How is it arranged? Does it make sense? And they they value the course based on on that, not necessarily before they even get to the content. Exactly. Yeah. I've uh, had a, a course from another one of the sites a little while back, mm-hmm. and uh, the placeholder text was all still there. And you go in, and every every page they still had the placeholder oh, no. text. They didn't even change it, and the the course itself was was actually pretty decent, but you know, it just because it was too hard. Yeah. And so I think that's really interesting that other people are seeing this challenge and that uh, that you're solving that. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been there and just to change out. And it's like, okay, if, you, if there's placeholder text there, you have to change it, right? But like, maybe you didn't want all that placeholder text at all. You know, like maybe that's not how you even wanted to present your course. But like, that's that's the thing with those other... Right. Is that like... 
the place. How do we just get rid of the template? Exactly. Right? And, and like, you can't, you're very, very confined. And so frustrations. Yep. I mean, in some sense, I will say like the creator economy and all this has made everything so easy, right? So like 15 years ago, I wouldn't even be thinking about the possibility of creating a course as a non-technical person. Like that's not a possibility in my mind. Times have changed and we should, you know, have updated tools that now would help non-technical people like me like do all the things so like honestly making the ux and the ui and that kind of stuff i didn't do all of it that's not my expertise but like just thinking about the mind the framework that like how how a non-technical person would be looking at this and how they would feel when they log in you know what i mean all this like um, experience that sure. this person is going to have uh, was was really big for me when we were working on on Alish because I was like it needs to be simple just like you said like that that creator of the course that you you purchased you purchased or was it free right yeah I purchased it yeah you paid money for it and you log in and you say placeholder text in it right it kind of makes you think like oh did I waste my money because like as soon as somebody pays for something exactly. buyers remorse. There's not, you know, like you wonder if you made the right choice. And so the first few minutes, like the very first interactions you give your learners right after the course is purchased is so important. It really lowers the perceived value of what you've sold them if there's placeholder text still there when you paid for a product. It, right. Not to say like that the course quality, you know, like that's a completely separate thing. But that's just how you see it. Right, right. That value is so important to communicate early and, and have that that seamless experience all the way through. Mm-hmm. So there are standalone platforms that you can get. And, and just like you said, I mean, those are the ones that that I do go back to my email and have to find that address, the the the, the welcome email. Yes. You know, to go find the course. And and then there are ones that are embedded in WordPress and that has its own set of challenges. You've taken it a step further and not only support those platforms, but other ones as well. Uh, Tell me more about that. Yes. So there were all these web platforms that are doing really well. They are mostly, they're either like Webflow, which is design centric. It's kind of like, it's, it's exploding in popularity. Have you heard of it? I have. Yeah. So it's, it's really nice. It, it's nice. It's, you can make beautiful looking websites with a platform like Webflow, or there are all these like platforms like Weebly, which say like you can make an easy site that still look good without the help of a developer. Right. But there were not w- any products or plugins or anything like that that would work with those and, and more like Duda or Wix or now Shopify has a couple, but there were a lot, all these platforms that Squarespace, this did not have a way to actually properly put in a course. So let's just say I if I had a Weebly site or if I had a Webflow site, if I wanted to put in a course, the way I would have to do it, if I really knew that I wanted it on my own website would be like link it all up with videos and oh my God. <laughs> You don't want to get there. Um, as a course creator myself, it's like a total headache to manage all of that. And if you ever want to update the course, you know, you don't want to go from, let's say, one lesson to the next with hyperlinking. That is absolutely what not what you want to do. You will regret it when you need to go in and, and change anything. Anyway, so there was no way to put in plug, uh, 
courses in all of these platforms and I'm not the developer, but they figured out how to do it. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. So yeah, we made Alish <laughs> so that whatever platform you use, it's, it's platform agnostic. You can drop a code and your course will show up wherever you say to show up. And I mean, everyone's business also evolves, right? Like you may start out with a Weebly site sure. and later be like, okay, let me uh, move over to Shopify. Now I'm doing e-commerce or whatever, but like, I still want to have my other things. If you move your platforms, you can just drop that same code in over there and it will still show up. Your, your the course is unaffected. And for me, that was actually, we've had to redo our website a few times. Like we've been doing our dental business for like 10 years. Right. So there were redesigns and redesigns. Obviously we have to kind yeah. of keep up and every redesign. Oh my God. God, having to redo the entire course and put everything in there all over again and make sure, oh, it was a really bit of headache. It's enough to want you to not, like, it's enough to deter you from making the decision to do the redesign because... Right, you don't want to redo your website. Yeah, because it's like these four courses, we have four courses, two are giant courses, two are smaller, but two are giant. Just the thought of having to copy-paste copies or I don't know. I know you can do an export import and all of this, but it was not good. Like it wasn't not what you want it to be because like you don't want to bring in all of the content over. You just want to, I don't know, you had to do a cleanup while you're bringing it over, whatever. Yeah, not good. So like, yeah, with Alish, what we did was you can just, you sh your, your course should always be maintained because it is very, very easy to do. So it's like a drag and drop. You don't see all the content for all of your courses mixed up. It's like you see your content for this course over here and that course over there. It's not all jumbled up. And so like maintaining it is so much easier. And to move it to another site, you just copy, paste, copy, paste, drop in. The rest of the website, yeah, you have to deal with it. But at least that part is easier and you don't have to worry about let's say your content being locked up in another platform and you can't bring it over you know none of that is a concern now Alyssa, tell me a little bit about how you've seen SaaS founders do really well in creating courses to help drive more business SaaS founders benefit so much from courses because as SaaS founders you succeed when your customers succeed you don't just want to, let's just say, make a SaaS tool and be like, okay, good luck, figure it out, bye-bye, see you later. Hope you don't churn, fingers crossed, right? right? <laughs> a lot of SaaS founders, let's just use podcasting as an example. If you have a SaaS that supports people in podcasting, you are, of course, going to have a certain number of customers that are very mature podcasters, and they don't need your help. But you will also have a large segment of customers that are not mature podcasters. They are figuring out, they're, they're starting a new podcast for the very first time, and they're like, okay, I want to do this. And, you know, and they sign up with you, and like they're getting things set up. You will keep them as a customer if they succeed. If they fizzle out or think that podcasting was too hard or it was not worth it for them or whatever it might be, they are going to churn. And so if you create a course right. that shows them, first of all, not just how to use your product 
But if you can take it a bit further, because if you have enough insight into podcasting to come to the point where you're building a podcasting SaaS, you know a lot more about podcasting and what it takes to succeed in it than your average customer does. Share that knowledge with them. Right. Help them succeed. They will be grateful <laughs> also, but really they will stay with you longer. They won't churn because you're there, you know, so podcasting has become an integral part of their business or, you know, whatever it is that they are working on. Like if they succeed, they'll stay. So that kind of insight into like sharing and doing, doing that part is very, um, yeah, I just don't think is utilized to the fullest potential for, for most SaaS businesses. It, you know, most SaaS businesses, I mean, I, I get it. There's a lot to think about when you're running a SaaS. You know, you have to think about everything from customer acquisition sure. to churn and to this and that and the UI and updates and everything. It's a lot and I, I get it. Uh, but it, it does not have to be a complicated project. It can be a very, very simple project, but it is a project that if you do it, it will continue to pay you dividends for a very, very long time. And you can do it however you want. You can do it so that the course is free, but in the course you show the SaaS founder how to use your product so that it's just an easier choice. And also, like if you're creating a course about it, they just have this trust factor you know you're you're building trust with them kind of by default by being the teacher of of this subject and so not everybody of course not 100% of the people that went through your course will choose you but a large enough portion will and it might even circle back to you after using somebody else because you know you showed them how to do something in your video and it doesn't work on that other platform because they don't have the same feature sets or whatever and they're not technical so they just want to there's like okay like I'm just going to go over to to Jeff's SaaS again like it it was not working and Jeff seemed like a trustworthy guy from the course you know this this kind of authority building is is important you don't want to be if you can like this this like no name i don't know sas where i don't have a personal connection any way that you can build that personal connection with your customer base is is very good and it, it puts you on the map of you know like if your competitor doesn't have that kind of support and you do it sets you apart automatically and just makes you look a lot better and I mean, you are a lot better by by helping them and providing that right, kind of support. Right. Makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people think about you know creating a course and maybe it's um, their help files and and that's kind of the end of it. But it can be so much more than that. It can be onboarding. It could be you know some gamification in in what they're doing, or even you know I, I love that idea about helping them succeed. So what do they need to know? You know what lessons do you know? As a, you know, a SaaS founder and creating a product, what have you learned that you can share that's going to help them on their journey that they wouldn't even think about because they, they just haven't had that same opportunity to learn yet? Yeah, sure. So instead of just drilling into your own SaaS as like, this is the company, this is what we do, and like, how do we improve metrics here and there and there? If you align your objectives with your customers, so you have to take a step back, right? And really think about your customer and your ideal customer. Maybe you have like a two or three avatars, right? Like the, the newbie podcaster versus the intermediate right. podcaster and, you know, and think about 
the needs for them and what success, quote unquote, would look for them. I mean, you're generalizing. It's going to be an individual thing. But let's say for in general, for the newbie podcaster, success would look like having a podcast up and running and having X number of subscribers or X number of downloads or something like that. Like, oh, okay. Got that. Now, how do I help this person get there? So instead of just thinking about like, oh, I got like, I lost 10 customers last month. Oh, and you look into their account and be like, oh, I guess they were starting out. I guess they decided it was not for them. You know, instead of just just being like, okay, just justifying that churn. Of course, some people will like dabble in podcasting and they will. uh, Some people will conclude it is not for them and leave. But some people... It might actually could have been for them have they had that extra support, just that little bit more of a nudge that would have helped them get over that that hump of getting started. And because like you have a podcast, you know, like to be successful at podcasting is much more than to record. You have to get you know, like right, give people right. a reason to listen to you, get your name out there. You have to cultivate that, you know, and you have to kind of develop a style and like do all this stuff. The brand new podcaster doesn't know any of that. They might really naively come in and think, oh, I'll just flick up my mic and talk and I'll upload it. And I guess people will listen, you know, but if they realize what goes into actually right. having a good podcast, they'll think about it, right? They'll be like, okay, is this worth it for me? Do I still want to do it? Some people will be no, but some people will be yes. And especially given the proper support and showing them the steps it takes, but in the littler chunks, right? You don't want to make it so complicated for the newbie podcaster, be like, go out and find a sponsor. Like, no, you do that later, you know? But like for the newbie podcaster, there are like only a few things that you need to do to like really make your podcast much more presentable and get a higher reach than you just like upload it and get crickets. And so you want to think about who the thing is for and give them the minimum number of steps. You want to make the wins small, but tangible. Don't overcomplicate things. Don't make a course with a hundred modules. Nobody has time for that. Everybody is busy. You want the minimum effective dose of whatever it is that will help them get from here just to the next step. Just, you know, you're not, don't try to make a newbie podcaster into this, into this big famous person just yet, just one step at a time. And when you're making content, it's like, okay, first of all, just think about the, yeah, the smallest number of things that you have to do. And if you have a blog, Dig through your blog posts. You probably have a lot of content that you can repurpose and make your, it will make your course creation so much faster than staring at a blank screen being like, okay, how do I outline my course? And like, you know, like a blank screen can be very brutal. Don't do that to yourself. If you've been business for, been in business for a while, like you have stuff somewhere. It might be in YouTube. It might be in your Facebook posts. You know, you sometimes just share these long form Facebook posts and just share the, what you've learned, like dig that up. And just kind of like put it into a non-techie would say a Google Doc. <laughs> That's where I <laughs> Sure. But yeah, just a just rearrange it. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. That literally is where I do it. I either do it there or in my Apple Notes. 
Um, and I would just, you know, just kind of be like, okay, three big chunks, like start from your course promise. Don't start by building your course. Start by thinking about, okay, what is the promise that I want this course to develop? So it's the newbie podcaster. I want them to be able to get, let's say, 30 downloads a week, just something small, right? For a new person, 30 downloads a week, that's a milestone. Like if you can get there, wonderful. It will give them enough energy to continue to the next milestone. So like, okay, if I'm going to take them from zero subscribers to 30 subscribers, what is the minimal things that they'll need to do? They'll have to make a podcast, like art, right? They'll have to make a cover art. They'll have to make a podcast description and maybe be interviewed on other podcasts just so that they can get the word out a little bit better. Just this few, few things does make it as small as possible and chunk it so that it doesn't seem overwhelming. You want this not to be like a 12 step process, but more like a, a three step process, something that they can go through and hopefully execute over a weekend max. You don't want it to be like, you have to put in four hours a day for the next month to go through this thing. No, you want it to be like simpler, like, uh, and it's easier for you to create as well. Just think about like to make a smaller course, just think about if I had this person sitting next to me, that is a total newbie. And I just sitting down having a coffee and we're like scribbling on a note together, just brainstorming how, what to do that brainstorm and the delivery of your material should be done in maximum a couple of hours. That's it. So it shouldn't really take you more than a weekend. Oh, if you don't edit your own videos, and I hope you don't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, that can be outsourced relatively cheap unless you want really fancy um, things done to your videos. But really, you don't have to become fancy. Just start basic. Just you know, like record your talking head video and it's okay if you record it 10 times. Like I do that sometimes, like the word just doesn't, you know, roll out my tongue, roll off my tongue the way I hoped it would. And, and that's what the job of the editor is to, is to go through all of the cuts and find the one or the find the last one or the best one and remove all of it. And it does wonders your mess of a, um, recording will come out really nice and clean by just taking out those bad cuts and you'll be amazed, but don't do it yourself because it takes a really long time unless you're really good at using video editing software already. (laughs) So that is one area that I'll say like, yes, spend a little money and get, get that out of the way. But minus that part, like the course creation part, hopefully a weekend, don't make it too big of a deal because then you won't do it. You can add to it later. You can build another one later, But yeah, make it simple, take small steps, repurpose your content. Don't start from scratch. You have it already. Most of a course material, honestly, you probably already have it. Your help articles, just go grab the stuff relevant, rearrange it and figure out how we would deliver it in your voice, in your video. And, and that's it. You just click on, don't, don't buy a camera. Don't buy a mic. Just, just use your phone, your whatever. What is that? MP4 thing that like comes in Apple computers. I I can't even remember the name. Anyway. Oh, there we go. Quick time. Just use quick time. Like it's fine. Or use loom. Yeah. Simple. You have all the tools. Like even if you don't think you have fancy, like you don't, doesn't need to be fancy. Just, just click record, just put up a bunch of books under your computer, bring it up and you're good to go. I think we make things uh, a lot harder than they need to be a lot of times. But I think it's, it's fantastic advice. 
Thank you. Yeah, it is. I think it's a way of procrastination um, in some sense, right? Because it's like, if you're preparing sure. for something, you can't actually do it, but you're working on it. So you feel like you're being productive, but you're not actually producing. So are you really productive? Like, what is the smallest thing that you can actually put out and uh, to to your customer base? Because they it, they will find it helpful. Like, the earlier you can put it out, you know, the bigger impact it will have and it will stay there. And if you don't like it later, do it again. Like, if you find that it brings you a good... good ROI, you know, then maybe you can, and maybe it does make sense to invest in higher production because you saw the value of, like it, it actually gave you money back as an ROI. Then you can invest that money back into better production, better editing, whatever it is that you want at that time. But don't let the production part, like not stop you from taking action. Seriously, a weekend project, (laughs) like lock yourself up, get it out. (laughs) <laughs> and that's really good because we can get feedback from clients as well and what was valuable and we can do more things like that. Yes, exactly. A lot of SaaS founders are used to the concept of, of MVP. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly the same thing. It's it's what is that minimum viable thing? And you could even flip that around and, and think that this is, we want um, you know maximum value activity. So what is the maximum value activity that you can give or instruction you can give to a new client to move them that one step forward and get them a, a big win, even a little win, yes. get them a win quickly. Yeah. And that, those kind of associations, you know, if you're the person that gave you the win, we are humans. Like I, I like, like to think of evolution yes. and it, it gives you this like special bond kind of it's like it, it gives you that it gives you it a little does, dopamine yeah. hit and it came from you and so i i like the feeling i get when i'm thinking about you and so yeah you're you're really building up a loyal customer base and a course for your customers is never going to be an urgent task right it's never going to be a fire that is like burning like something that you have to fix And so it's the kind of project that is really easy to just put off in your someday maybe list and just look at it and be like, okay, not now. Maybe when I get to this point, I'll do it. Maybe when I get to the next point, I'll do it. But could you spare a weekend? Because it will help you immensely. It will help reduce your churn. It will help your customers. And your customers will stay. They have to. I mean, they're getting invested, you know, they're getting set up with your your SaaS. They they will stay because why would they leave? It's just so much work to even think about like moving platforms anyway. So if they're your customers and you help them, you know, right. settle in and succeed, they'll be your customers for longer. So it's the kind of activity that I think is important, but not urgent but totally worth it. So yeah, make it a weekend yeah, project. It is one of those things worth it and important. Yeah. I like that. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Well, where can we learn more about you and about Owlish online? Sure. Um, Owlish is at owlish.com. That's Owlish with two W's. So that's O-W-W-L-I-S-H.com. Um, I don't have a lot of other social things going on, to be honest. I'm personally not active on like Twitter or anything like that. Uh, but everything Owlish is where you would find <laughs> us. So most of our social media handles are Get Owlish. And um, yeah, you can find me there and us there. And for the listeners of the Sassfield podcast, if you want to try out Owlish, we would love to give you two months free, uh, whichever plan is it, it is that you 
wow. choose. That's great. Yeah. So for that, just come to owlish.com forward slash sasfuel, S-A-A-S-F-U-E-L, all one word. And uh, yeah, it'll be there. Fantastic. And we'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes as well. And uh, two months is, is fantastic. Not a, a simple two-week trial. No. Uh, two months. We can do better than is, that. Is great. That's long enough to, to get your course up. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Love that. Get it up over the weekend. Try not to use the entire two Fantastic. months <laughs> to try it, to try it out. <laughs> no, we wanted to make sure you get That's enough the challenge. time. You know, we really wanted to make sure you get enough time to get everything set up because it's, it's not just recording, but then it has to be edited and, you know, uploaded. It's easy to use, but you know, we're all busy. So hopefully two months will be ample time. That's great. So be sure and go to owlish.com slash sasfuel and grab that trial and uh, get your course up. Do that. It'll be great. Yes, absolutely. So, wonderful talking with you today, Thank you. Alyssa. Thank you so very much. Very inspired by what you're building Thank and you. especially for us non-technical founders making it easy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I love the creator economy. I'm a huge believer in it and I love being a part of it. So yeah, I would love to see if you've implemented this in your SaaS business. Please tag us, get allish in Twitter. Let us know. I really, really want to know. And thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. You're a really great interviewer. I had a great time talking to you today. Well, thanks again to Alyssa for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. Learn more about Alyssa and Owlish at owlish.com. And it's owl like the bird, but it has two W's. So O-W-W-L-I-S-H, owlish.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. Please subscribe or follow us while you're there at SAS Fuel. And you know, it doesn't cost you a thing. And everyone who subscribes this week, you get a long weekend. No, that's right. Monday is a holiday. It is MLK Day, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And it's not just a day off, though, not just a normal holiday, but it's a day to do something good, a day of service, which I just love that. It's a tremendous way to honor the legacy of a great man who changed the world, not through riots or revolution or just shouting louder than the opposition, but through leadership, inspiration, and determination. I think he is one of the greatest examples of servant leadership in our nation's history. So get out there, go serve, and make someone's day on MLK Day. Well, join us next week for our conversation with Ted Elliott. He is CEO of Capado the largest DevOps platform for Salesforce. He has years of experience as a founder, CEO of tech startups through exits and beyond. So really looking forward to that conversation. And we will follow that up next week with our SaaS Fuel Expert Series. And our guest will be Alexis Scott. Her greatest skills are marketing creativity and community engagement. And you know, if you want to build a cult-like loyalty around your SaaS, this is going to be for you. She is fantastic. Love her. Well, until next time, as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.